Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. encounter it is awesome to be here it's awesome to be in a room with some people so good that we can gather uh, I just want to say thank you for having me um, yeah my name's Dave I'm from Hills Baptist I bring you greetings from Hills Baptist I'm involved with Ignite Ministries and um, yeah just excited to be here excited to be able to bring the word and so loving what God is doing in this church a couple months ago when this whole COVID season started uh, I encountered a magnificent prayer. We're in a series at the moment on the Lord's Prayer. It's a fantastic prayer. It's a great series. We have this thing in our family when we're driving to school uh, that we say to our kids, okay, who's going to pray over the day? And so we, I've got three kids. I've got Bailey, who's age nine. I've got Mabel, who's age seven. I've got Benji, who's age six. They are fantastic. They are full of energy. Uh, they are Muppets at times, but I love them. And uh, what we do is we're driving to school. We just say, who's going to pray? One of them will start praying. And usually it goes something like this, dear Lord, I pray for my teacher, I pray that you would bless them, I pray that you would, uh, you know, help us enjoy our lunch, amen, stuff like that. Uh, and this one day where I actually wasn't in the car, I had to go to work a little bit early, uh, but my wife Jo was driving them along and she did this thing, she said, kids, let's pray for our day, so Mabel starts, dear Lord, I pray for Mrs. Kelly, did a little thing, then Bailey begins, dear Lord, I pray for Rada, 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 and then Benji got up and prayed. A six-year-old, and Joe wrote it down. It was so good that she texted me straight away. And I'm going to read it to you because I think you're going to love it. This is what Benji prayed at the, probably about a month into the coronavirus. This is what he said. He said, we pray that the King of Kings would destroy the corona and smash the demons, sending them both into the lava. And then the angels will sing like on the day that Jesus was born. Amen. Now that's a prayer. As a six-year-old, that is a prayer. I love that prayer. How many of you have got someone in your life that you just love listening to them pray? Anybody listening to them pray? Anybody here? I've got a friend called Nat. Every time he prays, I'm like, man, that's so sweet. It's just so eloquent. I just want to hear you pray more. There's a lot of people who have delivered a lot of great prayers over the years, but there is no greater prayer than the prayer that we are studying here and encounter at the moment. The Lord's Prayer. There is no greater prayer. It is. It is not just a uh, solitary mode of prayer. It is also a model of prayer. It teaches us how to pray. It teaches us a pattern of prayer, the way that we should enter into the presence of God. God, through the ages, the Old Testament has made a particular way of how we are, enter, how we are to enter His presence. And just because we now have a new and living way, we no longer go through the priest and the sacrifice and the temple. We come through the curtain that is the body of Jesus Christ, but there's still a pattern that we're still to abide by. And that pattern begins with that beautiful recognition of who God is, our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
And we start in reverence. We start in this place of awe. We start in this place of just acknowledging who He is. And it leads us on this beautiful journey of submitting to Him and recognizing how fallen we are and our needs. And it comes to this place of petition where we're saying, God, forgive me and grant me the grace to forgive others and give me the things that I need to survive. And then we come to this fifth movement of the prayer, this beautiful fifth movement that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is this all about? Because some of you, your ears have just pricked. You see, when you read this whole thing, when you stand up and you you recite it, sometimes, those of us who've been in church for a while, sometimes it just becomes something that we say and we sort of miss something. But when we, we read it in isolation, we hear it in isolation, our ears prick up and we begin to say, well, hang on, what are you saying there? Lead us not into temptation. Dave, are you trying to tell me, are you inferring, Dave, That if God is to lead us, if we have to pray and say, God, don't lead me into temptation, lead us not into temptation, are you inferring that just maybe God might lead me into temptation? It's an objection that people have asked throughout time. Why pray this prayer? Why are we praying this prayer? Does God tempt us? Let me deal with the first objection, and then we'll get stuck in with the first thing. Does God tempt us? James 1 verse 12 and 15 says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Friends, God will test, but he will not tempt. Let me make that perfectly clear. God will test you, but he will not tempt you. You see, testing is about refining and strengthening us unto salvation. Testing is about putting us through the sieve so that we might be purified and we might become more like the Lord who leads us. Testing is a very important part of God's sanctifying work in the life of a believer that we might have the dross removed and we might walk in the power of grace and the fullness of salvation in sanctification to be a light in a dark world. Testing is a part of God's plan. Tempting is very different. You see, tempting is not about refining and strengthening. Tempting is about exposing a weakness and enticing us into sin. Where testing is about drawing us toward God, tempting is about taking us from God. Tempting is about causing us to step out of the light into the darkness. Whereas testing is about exposing the darkness that we might come into the light. Are you with me, church? And so God would never tempt anyone because tempting is about drawing us away from the very God who calls us unto himself. So God will not tempt you, but he will test you. 
And I need you to hear this, church, because when we pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation. God is not someone who is going to tempt you. You may never say, God is tempting me. No, no, no. But God will test you. And I want you to see this in the Lord's life. What, what, did, what happened to Jesus? What happened to Jesus? You see, Jesus, as he is uh, standing on the precipice of his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is about to be- commence this three-year ministry before he, he goes and endures the cross and does all these things. He's about to begin. And what does it say in Matthew chapter 4? Let's go there for a second. I don't know if we've got this passage there. But it says this, Matthew 4 verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by what? The devil. So the Spirit of God led Jesus to a place where he would be tempted. So actually, Jesus was tested through temptation. God didn't do the tempting, but he tested his own son. So what tempts us? What tempts us? Keep reading the passage. You see, it says that he was led to the wilderness to be tempted by who? By the devil. So we're, test- we're tempted by the devil. Here's the other thing. If we keep reading that, it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him, that's the devil, and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is hungry. So here's the second thing. We're tempted by the devil, but we're also tempted by the flesh. We're tempted by the flesh. You see, Jesus was physically hungry and there was a temptation that came with that. Jump ahead to verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Here's the third thing that will tempt you. It's the devil, it's the flesh, and it's the world. The devil, the flesh, and the world. These are the things which will tempt the sons and daughters of God. And here's what I want you to understand in Counter Church. These temptations are common to all of us. We all have flesh, and by flesh, I mean the cravings of our sinful human nature. We are all tempted by the flesh. By the world, I mean everything around us that entices us away from the call of God. Everything that says, chase after this. Everything that says, this is what you need. This is what is going to fulfill that craving and yearning on your flesh that is not of God. It's the world. And then there's the devil. And if you don't believe in the devil, then you need to read Scripture. Because the devil is real, he is personal, he is the adversary of God, he is the fallen angel who seeks to kill, steal and destroy. Can I make that clear in this church? There is a personal devil. Not every temptation is from the devil, but he is alive in the world and he's seeking your destruction and he wants to pull you from the power of God to call you unto himself. This is how we are tempted. So what's with the prayer? What is Jesus inviting us into when he says, lead us not into temptation? If it's, saying, if it's not saying, God, uh, please don't lead me, to, please don't tempt me, God, because God can't tempt. And if, if Jesus himself, the Son of God, was tempted, 
Is he saying pray that we're not going to be tempted? Is, is Jesus inviting us to say, God, please don't allow temptation to come upon me? When we know that temptation is common to everyone, the flesh, the world, and the devil. What is he saying? And maybe I've confused some of you more. You've never thought of it this deeply before. But what is Jesus saying here? And I want you to understand, in order to understand what Jesus is saying here, is we actually have to understand the context in which this prayer is prayed. This prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And the Gospel of Matthew is very much eschatological. Who knows what eschatological means? I can't even say it right now. It's talking about end times. E-S-C-H, like you can look it up in your dictionary. It's talking about the future kingdom. It's talking about end times. When you read Matthew, it's got this beautiful kingdom focus, the now and not yet of the kingdom, the glory of God that is to come. Jesus is preaching this kingdom. And so when he starts praying this, we need to understand what was going through the disciples, the hearers of Matthew, when Matthew recorded these words. What were they going through? And there was this profound persecution that was hitting the church. There was a profound understanding that a time of tribulation, a time of great trial was going to come upon the church. And the greatest temptation that they would face was a temptation to fall away from the faith. The greatest temptation they would face was that they would reject Jesus on account of their own comfort. And Jesus says, when you pray, you should pray, lead us not into temptation. He's saying, when you pray, pray not that you would be kept from temptation, but that you would be kept in temptation. That when the flesh and the world and the devil come against you, pray that God would keep you in the midst of all of that. That he would hold you fast. Come on, church. That he would hold you and protect you and guide you and lead you. That you would be led by him through it, through the valley of the shadow of death, through everything that you're going through, through the things of this world, that you would not sway to the left or to the right, though they come against you, but you would be led not into temptation, but you would be held fast by God. Friends, when you pray this, it is a powerful proclamation that God is able It is a powerful proclamation that God is able to keep you from falling, as it says in the book of Jude. That He is the one who can prevent you from falling away from faith. What you're declaring is, God, you are in control, Encounter Church. That's what you're declaring when you pray this. My daughter Mabel says it best. You know, she's got two brothers, and those brothers love to tease. They love to pick. They love to roll her up. And she's got some feisty, Jared will tell you, she is a feisty kid. She will, like, retaliate. And we've been working with her. Don't buy it back. And this one day, I heard them snickering. I heard the boys giving everything they could to make her bite. And I walked around the corner, and there was Mabel, hands clenched jaw clenched and she was just like this and she just went like this she said you're not the boss of me get out can I preach for a second when we pray this what we are saying in the face of our temptation is you're not the boss of me get out get out pornography, you're not the boss of me. Money, you're not the boss of me. Fame and acclaim, you're not the boss of me. Get out. God is on the throne. He is in control, and I can trust Him that He will not let me fall. 
lead us not into temptation. This is the power of that prayer. It is not a throwaway line. Lead us not into temptation. But it brings me to my second question, which is this. Who's leading you? I know your Bible's bigger than mine and it's probably leather bound and you're holy. (laughs) But if you're anything like me, there are times when your eyes are not fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, when you're not throwing off the sin that so easily entangles, when you're not running the race with perseverance marked out for you. If my vulnerability is offending you, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. Because we're all fallen. We all fall short of the glory of God. And the reality of the Christian journey is that there are times when the flesh, when the world, and when the devil, when those whispers happen, that we take our eyes off the one and we stop following the one who would lead us not into temptation and we are drawn into it. When we fail the test, unlike Jesus who did not fail, unlike Jesus who in that beautiful garden of Gethsemane, when the devil came against him again and there was that thing, don't take the cup, what are you doing? Why would you go through with this? Why would you suffer? You're the perfect son of God. Why would you die on a cross for these fools? And Jesus was, you can tell by the way that he prayed that he was tempted so much so that he dripped blood. What did he say? Not my will but thine be done. What is he saying? He's saying, lead me, not into temptation. He's saying, lead me, God. Let me follow you. Hold me. Keep me. Let me run after you to do your will. If Jesus prayed like that, he didn't fall so that when we do fall, we would know that we can trust in him. We would know that we can rely on him. We would know that he's the only one who could make a way. Who's leading you? Who's leading you? There will be times when we're going to struggle. These these days will come, you know, and the beauty of what this prayer is is it takes us to the the, the third question, the third point, the final stanza is that Jesus says, hey, these times are going to come, but guess what? There's another part that you need to pray and that is, deliver us from evil. What Jesus is saying here is, hey, keep your eyes on me. Jesus is saying, lead us, pray that prayer, lead us not into temptation. Know that I've got you, pray that I hold you. But if you stumble, if you fall, know that there is one who can deliver you from evil. And if you read this in the Greek, you realize that when it's talking, about, it's not just talking about all evil, because evil is around us, evil is in the world, evil is a part of the reality that we exist in. It's saying, lead us, uh, it's saying, deliver us from the evil one, from the one who would seek to kill, steal, and destroy. And when I stumble and I'm on my knees and I've lost my way, we need to learn to pray, deliver me from the evil one. We need to learn to bring a shout of praise to our mighty God and say, God, even in my weakness, you are strong. You are my light and my salvation. You are the rock and my fortress and the one in whom I trust. You cannot save yourself. You 
cannot deliver yourself. Temptation will come against you. You will stumble. You will make mistakes because you are not perfect. But there is one who is. There is one who has the power and the strength to deliver you from your life of sin and death, from the miry clay, from the pit of hell, to reach down to grab you and to rip you into eternal life, eternal salvation, and a life of power and joy. And his name is Jesus. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation. Keep me, Lord. Hold me, Lord. May I not fall away. And when I stumble, may I stumble in your direction. And when I fall, may I fall on my knees, Lord, not run away, because you are the one who will deliver me from the evil one. You are the one who has saved me and set me free. Hallelujah. To the glory of God the Father. Friends, it seems like such a simple prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But there is so much in this. So would you pray it? Would we begin to proclaim the power of God over our lives? Would we begin to proclaim the strength of our God in the midst of our weakness? Would we begin to hold fast to the promises of God that He is the one who will keep us? As we see in Romans chapter 7, Paul, this mighty man of God, even Paul, friends, says this, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivered me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, God never promises a life free from difficulty, free from trial, free from temptation. But what He does promise is He is walking with you. He does promise that as you submit your ways to Him, as you fix your eyes on Him, as you bow your knee and say, lead me not into temptation, as you invite Him to be Lord of your life, He will deliver you from the power of the evil one. He will set you free and He will cause you to enter into a life full of grace and truth and knowing that He is the one holding your future. This is the great, incredible power of this prayer. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you're able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.